0: W-M-Q-A. Hello and welcome to W-M-Q-A, the Comics XF interview podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lasowitz. And this week's guest is the artist behind the new Image Comics series, The Schlub, Tyrell Cannon. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. So, Tyrell, what are some of the first comics you remember reading?
1: Oh, man. Uh, Well the first ones I probably remember reading was the Sunday strips. Um, I, Calvin and Hobbes, uh, family circus, BC, uh, Garfield. Um, those were always the ones that like really sucked me and especially, uh, Calvin and Hobbes. That was a huge impact on me as a kid. Um, and then as I got to maybe around the ages of 11, 12, 12, as when I started reading, um, like floppies, you know, Marvel DC stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, really big into X-Men and all the adjacent X titles. Um, That was probably my biggest thing was, was X-Men books. And then when Image came out, I was a huge mark for Image. I bought everything that was Image, you know, especially anything Jim Lee touched. I I loved all the Wildstorm stuff. That stuff was really big for me growing up. Um, But yeah, I would say that that's maybe, you know, the the best way for me to describe it is comic strips and then into floppies with, with X-Men and Image Comics.
0: No, I think, I think that that's a good origin. I mean, I, I, I'll I speak for myself. I know Calvin and Hobbes was also a gateway for me. I feel like, you know, that strip especially made an entire generation of kids, uh, you know, more mischievous and yet also more mature beyond their years. <laughs> right,
1: right. It's a special strip. I, I think that there's there's, it's one of those strips too, that every time I come back to it at whatever age it still just speaks, speaks in volumes and volumes. It's, it's a special thing Bill Watterson did with that.
0: Absolutely. Now uh, you, you mentioned X-Men comics. Are you, uh, are you up to date? Are you current? Uh, I've come in and out of, of most, you know, big two stuff
1: uh, with X-Men. I have not read the, the newest crop, which I think I heard is the, the sort of current thing is sort of coming to maybe a close and there, cause there was a big sort of interconnected Thing going on with the X titles, I think, as there usually is. I think the last time I was really invested in X-Men was probably uh, the new X-Men, Grant Morrison, Frank Quietly, that kind of stuff. That really sucked me actually back into comics, mainstream stuff after I'd kind of been not reading a lot of that for a while. I mean, I know that was a long time ago, but I loved that series and it was really hard for that to get topped. I did try some of the the stuff after that. There was the Warren Ellis stuff. I, I didn't really like the Joss Whedon stuff very much um so i mean i I probably read for maybe five or so years after that but uh i'm not sure what's going on now i've heard good things though are you guys currently reading those uh we're we're up to
0: date and i'm not going to spoil
2: anything okay (laughs) okay i i will say i the this is this strikes me more as the end of the act than the end of the direction it's like you Things can only go well for the X-Men for so long before something really terrible has to happen. Right. And, right. Oh, here we go. <laughs> well, I was I
1: was talking my, my younger brother. I was just visiting him, and he he's been reading Wolverine. And so I heard about some of the stuff going on in Wolverine. I was like, that's wild, you know, with Beast and all that. I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me very intrigued to maybe give it a shot again. I'm a huge like X-Men person, you know. I like I have favorite characters and stuff, and I, I've always liked drawing the X-Men and Someday I'd love to draw
0: an X-Men comic, so I should probably get caught up. <laughs> you, you've you been warned.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay.
0: <laughs> but uh, you're here to talk about your new image series, The Schlub, out August 23rd with uh, Ryan Stegman, Kenny Porter, Mike Spicer, and John J. Hill. Uh, Matt, why don't you give our lovely listeners the 411?
2: Failing dentist Roger Dalton blames the world for his problems until he is body swapped with the world's greatest superhero. Can Roger save Earth and finally prove to his family he's not a loser? Or are we all
0: boomed? So today, as we're recording, is FOC, that magical day when comic shops are supposed to get their final orders in for a given comic. How we feeling? How we doing? Um, I'm very uh, excited.
1: I'm, I'm I'm excited. I'm nervous. I, I've never had a book at Image before, and, and growing up an Image kid, it's, it's been a kind of a lifelong goal for me and and it's been a long time for me to get to this point. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, I have lots of things that I would like to do. And so I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I mean, you know, just hearing you read the description every time I hear it and I even just see who I'm working with, I feel I'm like, how is this happening? You know, I'm working with such great people and and it's such a cool concept. Um, so I, I'm so excited about the book and, and the work I'm doing on it feels very fulfilling and very kind of pushing a lot of boundaries for me as an artist, but also just for superheroes. And I, I feel very excited about it. So I can't wait to hear um, hopefully that everyone else is excited about it as well.
0: What What is the origin of this project?
1: So uh, Ryan Stegman, the, uh, <laughs> the infamous famous, whatever you want to call him, Ryan Stegman, uh <laughs> big Marvel guy. Obviously you guys probably know Ryan's work. Mm -hmm. Um, he had some time after doing, I think shortly after he was doing some, some Spider-Man or or maybe the carnage stuff, he wanted to go do a creator own book. And so he pitched this project to image with him drawing it, writing and drawing. it, And, um, they said, great, let's do it. But then he got a phone call from Marvel about working on some little thing called Venom with some guy called Donny Cates. And uh, he sort of got sucked back into that world. And, and he's happy he did, and we all are. I mean, it's, it's great work that they made together. Um, and so he sort of shelved the schlub. But as as a few years went past, he really still wanted to make it happen. And that's when he decided, okay, if I'm going to make this happen, I'm going to have to collaborate with some other people. And he uh, he knows me and Kenny uh, through uh, sort of a, a, a Skype uh, we're old, so it's a Skype chat group that we have where a bunch of artists uh, that are in the group can share our work with each other or give each other critiques, talk about nonsense, because uh, we're all stuck at a desk all day. And so it's nice to have some, some people to talk to. And so he knew us through that and really liked our work and asked Kenny to co-write it with him and me to draw it. And that's how I got involved in the project. And um, after I got involved and Kenny got involved, we started um, designing the characters and stuff. Ryan hadn't really done any art for it yet. He had maybe one sketch of uh, of Roger, the main character, Roger Dalton. And, um, you know, he he kind of just, we, we kind of started like, okay, here's the concept, but let's do it, you know, now. And so a lot of it had changed, I think, since his initial pitch. Um, he still had a some, kind of an arc in mind for the first, you know, story arc. And so we uh, kind of kept working on that and uh, or started working on that. And then he said, who do you want to have to color it? And I was like, well, it'd be amazing if we could get Mike Spicer. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if you can, but that would be really great because I think he's one of the best colorists working right now. And we got Mike, and uh, we were off to the races. And then John J. Hill works with Ryan on some other things like Vanish and uh, brought John on, and and the team has been cranking away on it for a while now. We're into issue six right now, so this book will be on time and coming out every month.
0: That's actually, now that's issue six of, of how many? Uh,
1: well, it's, you know, the the first arc will wrap up in issue six. Um, we leave, you know, some, some room because we would really like to do more. Um, we, we see it as something that could go on for a long, 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 long time. Um, if nobody buys it, then we probably won't go on forever. But uh, <laughs> assuming people love it as much as I think they're going to, I would imagine that uh, we'll, we'll jump right into the next part after we um, finish up the, the six
0: issue initial story arc. So what, what is the give and take like among the you and Ryan and Kenny, when it comes to, you know, scripting and, and bouncing ideas off each other?
1: Um, they're really great. Um, I've, I've been pretty lucky that I I would say most of the artists or most of the writers and, and colorists and, and, and people that I've worked with have been, you know, fantastic. And, um, but, but Kenny and Ryan are, are, have been a really special, fun thing for me to work on because I work with because, A, I know them, you know, to some degree, I know them and I get along with them. and We have a lot of the same touch points. And so that helps to have a shorthand. Um, and then they both bring something a little different to the table, um, but are really good at enhancing things. And then I feel like I mix in and, and try to enhance what they're doing. Kenny um, is really good at making things work like so so ryan has these big ideas and these cool characters and all this stuff and then kenny is like sort of this uh mechanic is you know if it was like racing he would be sort of like the guy making the engine run a little faster a little more smooth putting better tires on it um he really makes it sing you know i think he gets all the points across and he adds a lot of emotional depth um and gives gives good payoffs to the humor and good payoffs to the emotional moments there's a there's a lot of emotional moments in the book there's a lot of scary stuff there's a lot of funny stuff. but yeah, they're, they're both very open to my input. We, we work in kind of a Marvel style. They'll come up with a script that's an outline of page by page. And um, there'll be story beats on the page, but not specific panels called out. And then I get the opportunity to panel things sort of as I see fit. And then um, after I'm done with the art, they go back and do a lettering script that, you know, parses out the dialogue. I mean, I'll see some of the dialogue in the, the first script if it's an important line. But sometimes they'll say, well, you know, here... Sirius is angry with Roger and they have an argument or something and then uh somebody else shows up and and so I I have a lot of leeway and they're both very open to the things I've been doing on the page and, and and great about adapting to um you know not just paneling ideas but sometimes I can work in you know little moments uh in the background that might help tell the story or um I think another thing that's really great about the interplay between us is that if I can sell an emotional moment or a funny moment with visuals they can uh, sort of pull the writing back a little bit. Or if there's a lot going on in a page and we need to direct it a little bit more, they can bring a lot more uh, writing into there. I, I think it's kind of the ideal way to work if there's a little bit of interplay between the writing and the and the uh, images whenever possible. So they've been great. And they're, they're very gracious and very complimentary and um, just really, really great guys with a, a lot of passion for comics. So it's been easy working with them and fun working with them.
2: Have you generally worked marvel style before this or is this the first time you're jumping into that particular way of doing comics
1: uh i've worked a lot like i've probably worked It's. it seems like it's different with everybody um uh there's been a couple times i've worked with writers where it was pretty open um a lot of the work i've done up, up until the last few years has been stuff that i've written and drawn myself and so i can kind of do it all myself um but then when I started working with writers, I think that the very first person I worked with was very, very strict about everything and very tried to direct the art. And that was that was challenging. And then as time went on, I worked with like uh, Seth Jacob and, and we worked in a, a, a style where he would give me kind of Alan Moore style. where He'd give me just like paragraphs of, of ideas for every panel, which is awesome. Um, but then it was my job to sort of pare it down to what I think would actually work on the page. And so it, it was it was similar to Marvel style, but a little more. um there was a lot more for me to go through. And then when I worked with Aubrey Sitterson on Beef Bros, um, he would do full scripts with panels called out, but he was also very collaborative and open to my ideas as far as like, oh, you know, I read the script and can we change these two panels around? Um, And that way it can be nice sometimes when you have the dialogue balloons, you can be tactical about where you think they should be and and, and that can be really fun. and now that I'm with, with these guys, Oh, and I worked with another guy, Matt mayor Lowry. And he, again, he would send me a full script, but it was very open. And then if it was an action scene, he would, he would kind of just say, do whatever you want right here, like make it cool. Um, and so it's been a good mix. And, and with we, with these guys, the, um, the, the kind of what they call they called it Marvel style right away. And I was like, whatever. I mean, as long as it, you know, as long as we all get to have ideas. Um, so it's been, uh, I feel like I've, I've run the gamut. And so it's been nice to, uh, to feel like whoever I'm working with, I feel like I can probably get something cool out of it. Um, I, I think I would I would hate it if I could never talk to the writer, though, that, that might be kind of tough. I know sometimes that's not an option, but it's really nice when you can just call them up and be like, hey, so you wrote this scene and I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Like, can I do this and this? And, you know, it's usually really fun when you have that back and forth.
0: You're working with three, or at least judging from the first issue, you're working with three very different main body types in this comic. So Roger is very round. He has this big, bristly Wilford Brimley mustache. You know, Cirrus is this big, beefy Superman type in a head sock. Uh, and and then you've got uh, Worm in the first issue, who is is spindly and covered in all these hoses and bangles that give him kind of a more fluid sense of of movement. What were, what were you... You looking to accomplish or expressing kind of the character design phase that you know these kind of shapes came to the fore
1: yeah yeah thank that's a great question dan thanks for asking that and noticing those differences because i i one of the big problems i have with with a lot of superhero comics the reason i kind of stopped reading them initially when i was in college was that i got way more into a lot of independent stuff a lot of stuff that was less superhero related And uh, one of the things I I liked about that that I didn't like about all superhero books was that everyone just looked kind of the same, you know, they would have the same physique, the same build, the same kind of maybe they'd be a little bit taller, you know, Colossus is a little bit taller or something, you know, and they would all have kind of the same face and expression all the time. And um, one of the things I was really pushing myself to do as I have kind of gone a little further down this path is to try to represent different types of bodies and and, and do it in a way that, that accentuates maybe their character or the story and so this is a body swap book, and I really wanted the those two bodies to be very, very different from each other. And so, you know, in designing my superheroes and super people, to me, I like it when they're um, just unrealistically huge, you know, eight feet tall, something where if this person showed up in front of you, it would be a kind of an intense and scary moment because this person doesn't belong in real life, really. And then with 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 Roger, you know, he is a schlub. And so he's got to look not really capable um, and maybe um, a little funny because um, one of the things the guys and I were talking about is that in the, the description, the image wrote up, it says something like failing dentists. And we always said, well, he's more just like a terrible person, you know, like he's a bad dentist, but he's just a terrible person in general. And for me, like I thought that was great, but I also thought he's got to look two things. He's got to look a little bit endearing or funny or he's just terrible, you know, and then the other part of it was going to be this big challenge I was going to have of, you guys have seen the first issue, they switch bodies really quick. And so I was like, I got to make this big muscle body feel inept and feel confused and feel stumbling around. And then I got to find some way to make this superhero inside of a, a, a rotund short man's body feel like he's trying his best to, to, to deal with it. Um, and so that dichotomy was one of the, the big things that attracted me to the book actually was the challenge of drawing not only these two very different body types, but imagining them within each other's bodies, and then um, I kind of with Worm, I went sort of. There's a whole lot about the character we're, we're going to learn um, as time goes on, and, and um, I won't spoil any of that. But one of the main things that I that I thought just in designing a, a new superhero and a new supervillain, you know, it's it's a challenging thing to do. Was well, it's nice if they have an opposite sort of look, and I wanted Worm to still look intimidating and maybe magical and maybe scientific and and something a little otherworldly, um, but not a, another big beefy guy like Sirius is. Um, I wanted him to feel like maybe um, that scary sort of spindly uh, feeling to him, but still very powerful in his movements. And then uh, with with sort of magic and I, the the bands that I put on him probably come from, I, I have a big love of like um, Kung Fu movies and, and uh, especially the old Shaw Brothers stuff. And I, I love the the kind of steel bands that some of the martial artists would wear on their, their arms in those movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that was sort of the goals. I think Cirrus took the longest. He took 20, 30 iterations probably to get where he was. I did not anticipate, I mean, I didn't realize how hard it would be to draw a new superhero, (laughs) you know, like you want to evoke all the things that are great about superheroes, but you want it to feel different and unique. And it was really, really challenging. And then, um, Whereas Worm, I read the character description and I just got it. one pass. that was exactly what he looked like. And I was like, got him. I, like I understood that character right away. And then with Roger, I started maybe a little safer. He looked a little more realistic in real world, Probably some of my more naturalistic indie storytelling sensibilities coming through there. And Ryan was kind of like, this was, you know, we, we were I, I, we would send the designs back and forth with everybody, everybody would chime in and some of our other friends would see him. And with Roger, he was like, no, he's got to be like fat and he's got to be like short and like funny, you know, you know, silly with the big teeth, really big teeth. And I was like, "Okay." So I went back and did the second pass. And that that kind of is what he ended up looking like now, where he's um, extremely short and uh, mustache got bigger. The teeth got really big. um, The hairline went back a little bit more and uh, and then we got him. (laughs) Now, now you mentioned Ryan had done an early
0: sketch of Roger, right?
1: Yeah, he had a. Well the only he might have done more. The only one he showed me was like a maybe and it was he sent it to me on my phone. it was like a like a head, just the head okay. and 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 the way he drew it honestly looks pretty similar to how he draws him on the he, Ryan's doing covers on every issue, like alternate covers. Mm-hmm. and it's very similar to the way he draws him there. so it's 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 very similar. I would say Ryan draws him maybe not as round and short as I do. And his mustache is a little fuzzier, and he likes he draws them with round glasses, and I draw him with square glasses. <laughs> now,
0: with the the head sock on Cirrus, I was wondering if that was a a nod. You know, you mentioned coming up on those early image comics. You know that was that was a very Deregger fashion accessory of the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the the old head sock. I you know I I, th- I think I even did a pass where he had more of a, you know, like a he had one that covered his whole head at one point. He didn't have a cape at one point. Um, I was trying to pull a lot from the things that that influenced me in superhero comics because I think that there's a special energy around that time, at least for me, and I think for a lot of people. And and it had an excess to it, and a uh, what's the word? Not everything really made sense. It just kind of looked cool. Rule of and cool. I wanted to, Game right? of consciousness. Like, <laughs> as long as it looks cool, right? And so I wanted to evoke that, but I also wanted to to to, to evoke you know, Superman and and um, Shazam and and the, the older characters that had um, maybe a, a slightly less um, busy look to them. And then I also wanted to evoke um, kind of ancient warriors. So I added sort of the armor pieces. Um, and then also with the armor pieces, a thing that I, I think me and Kenny came up with it just talking on the phone one day, or maybe I did it and then asked if it was okay. There's these little uh, circular valves on the on the different armor parts and and as serious fights I, I was like it'd be kind of cool if those were like venting energy out of them like after, after he throws a punch or something so i thought that'd be a really cool visual element to add to him and, and show sort of that he's been using his powers or that he's been expending energy and so i added those little circles there to add that um it's like a tiny bit of logic is all you need for things it's like it <laughs> just have to look cool but if you can just give one or two things a little something to do so that every time you draw them, those things seem like they have a purpose, then A, it's like a little more interesting as a character design, and B, I don't get as bored drawing it. Um, I think there's a lot of character designs, especially some of the modern costumes that feel very seam heavy and very um, intricate. And that stuff's great on film, but I think in the comic, it, it can really, well, it can slow you down when you're drawing it, but it also, I think, can just slow down the reader reading it. When, it, when a super-powered is throwing a big punch and he's covered in bands and pockets and zippers and, and all that. So we went with a very classic look, but to get back to the head sock, I I think it comes from the, um, it comes from like, yeah, uh, Cyclops, uh, Gambit, you know, those guys, I drew them a million times and that that sort of shape is sort of ingrained in me. Mm -hmm. And as I, as I drew them more and more, I thought, okay, well, he's got to look like a superhero, but we want to show some skin in places, but it should be kind of minimal. And then if this, you know, if the costume gets ripped or something, it'll, it'll show, show more. And so I was like, what if it was just a window on his face, obviously the hair on the top and then the, the fists. Um, and I'm really happy with how that turned out. I, I, I'm glad I got to use the head sock and that it actually works. Cause I think a lot of times it looks silly, but if you do it right, it can, it can look really great.
0: So, uh, you know, this is, this is a body swap body swap story as we've established uh so uh matt i'm going to start with you on this one uh f- favorite body swap. Sops- oh my God. <laughs> I had a hard time with that one favorite body swap stories across media <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna go with a couple
2: of uh anime uh, animation picks there's an episode of uh gravity falls which if you're not familiar is a disney cartoon it's this weird little mystery town up in the Pacific Northwest. And there's an episode where they find a carpet that if you rub your feet on it, it generates static electricity. And the person you zap, you swap mines with them. And so the two main characters, the twins, swap, swap, "Ah, see, now you got me doing it. Uh, (laughs) Swap mines. But then the good-natured handyman, Seuss, swaps mines with a pig. And it becomes this whole comedy of errors with the pig talking while Seuss's body is just sort of breathing heavily and acting weird and then a whole bunch of other body swaps and there's an episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold where Batman and Batwoman swap minds and this is a different this isn't like the Kate, uh, the Kate Kane Batwoman this is sort of a 50s Batwoman and as opposed to with a lot of animated body swaps where the voice actors swap, they don't hear. So Diedrich Bader, who voices Batman, gets to camp up this sort of feminine energy through Batman. It, it's very much like watching a a drag performance and is not something you'd think you'd get out of a, Brave and the bold of all of the interpretations of Batman,
0: which tends to be the most kid-friendly. I like that. You know, I, I just saw Dietrich Bader in Shazam 2. It was a bad movie, but I was happy to see him for his very small part in the movie. Uh,
2: he also had a great small part in The Blackening as the white uh, park ranger that they're not entirely sure isn't
0: the killer. Huh. Interesting uh for for my answer i went with this is this is a classic the uh the episode of the tick where they do a bunch of like multiple body swaps and i think uh arthur switches places with a giant tongue and he's just like i can taste the floor
2: <laughs> and i dr mung mung remain the same yeah that's wrong with the
1: tick that's always going to be gold so
0: absolutely tyrell how about you
1: uh you know i think um the one that I've seen most recently that I really liked was um, I think it's just called Freaky. It's Vince Vaughn, and he it's kind of like a horror movie, and he swaps bodies with a teenage girl uh, or, or, you know, a female character, and it's like, you know, a killer is on the loose. That one was really great. And then, you know, the, the classic Freaky Friday is probably the other one that I gravitate the most towards. Um, I think that there's something about... Um, I liked the change-up as well. It was pretty good. I'll say Freaky's my answer, but in general, I think the body swap genre, like Ryan is obsessed with it. So he loves it. But um, there's something cool about just that idea of like switching switching with someone else's life and just seeing sort of what your problems look like through that lens. I think that's why it's been so consistent in film. There, there's been body swap movies for quite a while now. I don't think they're going to stop making them either.
2: No. <laughs>
0: and especially now with all the actors and writers on strike well, yeah. <laughs> Just, <you Right>. know. <laughs> copy paste kind of swaps going on yeah yeah exactly uh second question in this vein though favorite dentists across media
1: well uh dr giggles being a horror movie fan i probably have to say dr giggles i i i think he's he's i don't know if he's 100% a dentist but then there's um uh uh, what's his name? I can't remember the character's name, but Little Shop of Horrors. Oh yeah, remember. Steve
0: Martin's character. Yeah.
2: Oh, right.
1: Orin.
0: The yes. character's
2: name is Orin.
0: Yes. That he's
1: probably the dentist I think of first when I think of Dennis in film. You know. What about you guys?
0: Uh well, first of all, I, I had well, I had Steve Martin as one of my answers, but I do want to point out that Little Shop of Horrors does something very similar to what the Slub does in that they have that through the mouth uh shot. Right. Well, right industry it's, is being performed
1: it's so funny because i you know when they when i got the script and i read that my first thought was like oh my gosh like how am i going to do this and i was like how am i even going to find a reference for this you know so i'm like trying to figure out like how to get pictures of people's teeth from the inside and you know i got a bunch of random reference and then um kind of just tried to make it work right you know you imagine it and you 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 accentuate different things And then uh, I was I was talking to someone else on a podcast and and we started talking and and that movie came up and I was like, you're right. Like, why didn't I just look at that? Like, why didn't I just look at somebody had already done it? Why didn't I just do that? And so uh, I kind of kicked myself. I mean, I'm glad in a way that I didn't just do what they did, but like, like, you know, take the reference photo and use it. But uh, but I kind of my life might have been easier if I had just looked at that scene when I was drawing it.
0: (laughs) uh my uh second answer to this question is going to be uh Brian Cranston's Tim Watley from Seinfeld though ah uh, yes I've been re-watching Seinfeld he's great when, when he converts to Judaism yeah for the jokes <laughs> For the jokes classic <clears throat> uh, Matt do you have an answer for this one oh, no, no, it was little shop oh okay <laughs> right, both, yeah
2: both both him and I am going to it's been a long time since I saw the original little shop of horrors because it is a, the play, the musical is based on a, uh, an old sixties movie. I'm trying to remember who plays that character there. And I, it I cannot for the life of me. It's remember I'm one. trying to remember because Nickel it's Jack Nicholson's first film role. And I don't think he has that role, but because I always picture Nicholas, I was like, no, no, but yeah, that that, in there as well.
0: (laughs) Well, Matt, if you want to keep looking for the answer, I've got, I've got, I've got a question (laughs) queued up in between. So, you know, we talked about the the reference of, of the through the mouth shot, you know, how much time did you have to spend familiarizing yourself with like dental tools and stuff to kind of get those, those office shots in the beginning? Um, I, I think I pulled up a couple of Google searches of, of
1: dental tools and, um, my wife is, uh, is a jeweler. That's her bench over there. Oh. She actually uses dental tools and wax carving and stuff. So I had a few on hand that I could reference. And, um, I was like, I've been to the dentist, you know, I can sort of, and, but I had to look up some images. And then the the key, I think a lot of times is, um, I try not to like find an exact reference Sometimes it's nice to get, you know, get an idea of what the tool looks like and then try to draw it yourself so that it looks more like you and, and, and different from just a, a photo. Um, like doing photorealistic stuff is great and all, and, and I'm sure a lot of people like it, but I think it's kind of boring. And so I tried to, 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 to like take the tool and then like, OK, there's grooves on the side where you hold the scratcher. Maybe I can stylize them in some way that looks neat or maybe this thing that opens her mouth up, I can just make it look a little bit bigger, a little bit more painful, exaggerate that. And, oh, maybe the mask for the NOS has just one tube, but why don't I make it have a bunch of tubes? You know, just little things like that to sort of enhance. It's like an enhanced realism is how I think of it, like an extreme version of reality.
0: More tubes is always better. I've I've always found Always. That.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the actor who played the dentist in the original Little Shop of Horrors is... I mean, I could go down an IMDb hole, but he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. So okay. probably a one of the stable of Roger Corman actors from the 50s and 60s who never really got out of the Roger Corman world. <laughs> Lost
0: to time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, this next bit comes from our grand Twitter inquisitor, Asimov Fangirl, uh, who asks... This could be my own childhood bias, but how difficult is it to convey or draw a sympathetic dentist, the most terrifying of the medicine people? Speaking of Dr. Giggles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I I don't have um, a huge problem
1: with dentists in general. Ryan Stegman, on the other hand, definitely does. I think that's probably why <laughs> it's maybe good that I'm drawing this instead of him because I don't know how we would have found any any empathy with with Ryan because he's had some, some bad uh, experiences at the dentist, and uh, he definitely was like, I'm going to make a comic to get back at all of them. That's the kind of funny way he thinks about it. Um, the way I think about it is more just um, – you know, I, I, before I was doing this full time, I've, I had day job, lots of day jobs, but one in particular for a long time. And I probably, you know, I've seen just so many people come through jobs where they get sort of vilified and, uh, yeah, they're generally just normal people, you know? And so I try to think of Roger as somebody that I know, you know, like we all know somebody that is their own worst enemy and makes bad decisions. And, you're just like why am I friends with this person you know (laughs) like we all have that person in our life and so I try to think about that and then I try to think about again the flip the flip of that it is like what's what's a superhero gonna feel like trapped in somebody's body that just sucks you know (laughs) Um, but it is hard to to find sympathy for Dennis I think I think that that first scene is where I went all out I was like let's make him real you know he's being way brutal on this old woman that's in the chair and He's trying to get her to sign all these things. She doesn't need to sign and get these procedures. She doesn't need. And his office is filthy. So I tried to have the vilification of him right there in that scene. And it's it's sort of an inept villain villainy. You know, it's 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 a it's a, a uh, I've given up and I don't care and everybody sucks. Like that's how he feels. Um, so you know, it's not it's not like he's a hero necessarily. Especially in the first issue, it's more just. Um, what's the core of this guy and, and where can we take them? You know, that's the thing is we want to take these characters on a journey so they can, I don't know, I don't even know if change is the right word, but you could see how they respond in all these different situations. And I mean, they'll change as, as everybody
0: changes, I guess. The uh, the thing I love about his patient in that first scene is we do follow her throughout the comic and, and see where she ends up. It's it, it becomes this wonderful little sort of background uh, Easter egg joke you can follow throughout the story if you're looking for it. Uh, you know, was there another moment or something like that in the issue? Uh, Non-spoilery, of course, that was a favorite of yours.
1: Uh, Well, I like the Easter eggs. I'll say that I I try to I would say every issue has something hidden in there. If people are looking for it, uh, I might even have that woman show up again at some point. I don't know, maybe. (laughs) Um, But I like to hide little things. That is a fun thing for me to do. Um, In Beef Bros, there's a rat that kind of goes through the whole comic. Uh, In this, there's little little things hidden whether it be product names that are referencing something or a couple other comic creators that i know show up in the issue uh I, I make a little appearance in the issue um i like that kind of stuff um as far as my favorite part in the in the first issue um that first spread uh, i think it's page three and four four and five is um one i'm really proud of i i it was the you know those that was the end of the kind of the uh it wasn't really a pitch because we were already picked up, but that was like the first five pages we were going to show for previews and that we were going to, you know, let people see. And it was also my first time working with Kenny and Ryan. And so I really wanted it to, to feel special. And so that, that, that first spread where they burst into Dennis office, um, I feel really proud of how that turned out. I think that that, that was really nice and that was fun to draw. And the other one is, is there's a, a fight scene and they go through a building and you guys probably know which part I'm talking about, but they go through the floors of a building and that mm-hmm. one felt uh, pretty awesome. Cause that's the kind of comics that I like to do stuff that sort of plays with the medium. And the fact that I could do that with these guys in, in a superhero comic felt pretty, uh, pretty neat and pretty fun. So those two pages are probably my favorite moments in the issue.
0: Now I do love seeing people go through the cross section of a yeah. building in a comic It's you know, it's it's the closest you'll ever get to see in like the raid or something in comic form.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We we all all three of us say always say when we're working on the book, like we want to do things that that you can only do in comics. You know, we we want this to be a comic. That's the most important thing is that it's a good comic. We're not trying to sell this to Netflix right now or anything. It's like we want to make a good comic, a great comic. And so anytime we're doing anything, we're like, well, what could we do that we can only do in comics right here? Whether it be something you do with a word balloon or with paneling or, or with the character's reaction that you can't do in other mediums. And so, yeah, cross-section of building, that's something, you know, you might see pulled off on a film occasionally, but in comics, it's, that's bread and butter, man. That's the good stuff.
0: Absolutely. Now you mentioned there being, you know, multiple cameos uh, from uh, comic creators uh, in the, in the first issue, but uh, the one that I clocked uh, does Daniel Warren Johnson know you have him running for his life?
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Dan's seen the page. Uh, he's a friend of mine. We we live near each other and we've known each other for ages now. And, um, yeah, uh, he, you know, he's always putting people in his comics and, uh, you know he's 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 just a good friend, and I knew he would he would love it. So I, I put him in there, and when I when I drew that page, I put in our little group chat, and he was he was like, "I'm running away like a little bitch," and I was like, "Yeah," I was like, "But you might." He's like, "I died." I was like, "Well, you know, we don't know yet. You know, we don't we don't see what happens." But yes, Dan is is in the comic uh, in the first issue. So if anybody spots him, you know, check, check, check it out.
0: You you can't miss him. He's got the beard, the long hair, the Boston (laughs) Red Sox hat, the t-shirt that says murder Falcon. He's literally holding a pen and markers. (laughs) He's a cartoon
1: anyway. That's what he looks like every day. That's the funny thing. (laughs) I didn't even have to make all that up. That's just Dan every day.
0: So, uh, what, what is one way this project is different from other things that you've worked on? Well,
1: I, uh, I feel like I've been lucky in some ways that when I was working my day job and doing comics on the side, I was able to really do any kind of comic I wanted to do. So I've done lots of experimental stuff. I've done true crime. I've done horror. I've done auto bio, but I had never really done a superhero book. And um, I'd done books with fighting and with people with superpowers, but I hadn't really done a superhero book. So even though that's what I grew up on. And so when I finally got this opportunity um, that's, that's sort of what felt new and exciting to me was to really dive into that thing that I've always loved, but never really creatively engaged with. Um, it, it kind of made me have some, uh, fresh love of the medium again. Um, I mean, I'm always finding something to love in comics. There's so much to love, but I hadn't really like really let that part of me out, you know, out of the cage. And now that it's out of the cage, um, it's, it's really just taken over. I, I can't get enough of, of figuring out ways to make people look cool and dynamic and fast and and make impacts look huge and, and show the dichotomy between superheroes and normal people. And, um, I'm just, uh, really into the whole, the whole genre of superhero comics right now. So I think that's new for me in that regard, as far as like thematic elements and the type of comic it is. And I haven't really, I guess I did beef bros had humor in it, but this has humor, but it's not a, I wouldn't even call it a comedy book. Like they listed as humor, but I mean, there's jokes in it, but, I don't know if you watch like righteous gemstones or something like that's funny, but it's also scary and sad and all these other things. I would liken it more to something like that. And so it feels cool to be telling a story too, that um, I'm used to working on sort of short one-off stories because all my self-published stuff is very contained. Um, And so to do something that's kind of open-ended and you can start like every issue, we introduce new characters and new places and new elements of danger and Mm -hmm. And it just feels like this ever expanding thing, and that's been uh, so much fun and scary too, but fun.
0: <laughs> so, who are the artists that uh, are kind of your guys? Who do you who do you jam on personally? Uh,
1: lots of people, and and it changes all the time. But there's consistent people all the time. I try to find influences that can help me grow in some way when I'm on a new project or help me enhance that project. So some artists like Katsuhiro Otomo, Mobius, uh, uh, Jeff Darrow, you know, all those people are sort of, you know, HR Geiger, Michelangelo, uh, Albrecht Durer. Those people are like always in my DNA, you know? And then when I'm, when I'm working on different kinds of books, I try to look at specific things right now. I've been looking at a lot of, um, Jason Pearson and Michael Golden um, are huge for me. I've been trying to work on Spotted Blacks and cartooning the the faces, but still having a a solid, you know, uh, feeling to them. Um, Been looking at Brian Hitch because of the big action scenes are always great to look at. And and J.G. Jones, um, Marvel Boy. I mean, that book is like huge for me. Um, Jim Lee. I look at Jim Lee a lot still. I think when I when I first got on the book, I was like, I need to you know, get back to some of the DNA for myself of of where that comes from. Uh, Frank, quietly. And then the last week I've been devouring uh, Gauraman and Baki, the grappler. Like I just cannot get enough of it. I've just been churning through it. Um, I love that stuff. The artist on that Itagage is Gaki, I think is uh, incredible. Like the stuff he's doing motion and stuff is incredible. So those are some, you know, right now, and then my peers, too, I, I have, a, like I said, there's a group of guys, uh, you know, artists that I talk to pretty regularly. And uh, so, you know, Danny Warren Johnson, Ryan Stegman, Brian Level, Riley Rossmo, um, Dave Acosta, Jay Leisten, um Jason Howard. Those guys are all, I mean, just the top, top guys working right now. So um, they're, they're all really big influence as well. Same for Green. I mean, they're all just like, man, they're so good. So I I feel like I'm learning from them all the time.
0: You're also an organizer of the Chicago Alternative Comics Expo, or KIC, which is a fantastic acronym. Uh, This was the first year the show was back in person since COVID. How how did it feel to be back? Oh, really cool.
1: Um, That's a show that I've been tabling at ever since the first year they had it. Um, A number of years ago, I was a special guest at the show, and it's always been... A show that was really good to me and really good for me and, and really represented the community that I felt like I was part of here and also the broader community of comics. And so I had decided to get involved with it um, <laughs> in twenty in, in 2019 to plan the 2020 show. And then, you know, my, my involvement as an organizer has been three years, but no show. Uh, so we finally had the show and it was different and weird in some ways because we were in a new venue. But at the same time, it really felt like we came back big in a big way. The artists all seemed to have a great time. The sales were, were, were great. We had awesome guests. You know, we had Bert, Dirk Baxter. We had MS Harkness. We had Mari Naomi. We had incredible guests. Um, and I felt it felt really good to be, um, to put a little bit energy energy back into the community. Um, it is a lot of work. It's an unpaid sort of organizer run show. And we were, our, our numbers of organizers had been cut down a lot during the pandemic just because a lot of people had to move and things changed and it was a hard hard thing to do but to have the kind of conversations I was able to have at the show where I talked to one person they're like this is my first time ever getting in cake I have wanted to do this show forever I'm so happy to be here I talked to another person this is my first show I've ever done out of my own country another person oh this is the first time I was ever a special guest you know and just to see the the engagement of all the people, you know, and, and them being able to get their work out there in a meaningful way um, was really great. And I think it was a successful show. And um, we're hoping to do another one as soon as we can. Well, you know, within limits, not not next week, but maybe next year. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a really great show. I encourage anybody who, who's anywhere near here to go, because the great thing about some of these independent shows is that they represent a, a much broader spectrum of work than you're going to find in, in most shops. And that's not a dig at shops. Every shop has their specialties. That's fine. But it's a lot of self-published stuff. It's a lot of stuff that doesn't fit into categories. And man, oh, man, every time I go to Cake, I've always said this. Every time I go to Cake, I find a new artist to fall in love with and new work I've never heard of before and, and stuff that I've never seen done in comics before. It's really, really fun. So I'm, I'm, I feel like it went well, and I'm so stoked that we're back.
0: Awesome. Now, apart from the new venue, you know, were there other changes that the time off uh, from being in person allowed you and the other organizers to make to the show?
1: Um, you know, we, we were able to think a little more intentionally about just some of the, the back end stuff and, and maybe document our process a little better to make it easier to hand it off to future generations, because we see it as a show that should have a rotating group of organizers. So different view, views and, and ideas can be represented so we, we've been really good at that. Um, the other thing that we that we maybe were thinking about was just we want to get a little better at documenting uh, parts of the show, whether that be panel discussions or artist talks so that that can be available to people that can't make it to the show for some reason um, so we weren't able to do everything we wanted to do this year, but it it really was a good chance to kind of see okay now we're we're back what's feasible to to change and add um, so yeah, yeah, the main thing I think would be that. That's fascinating to me, the idea. I
2: mean, are you talking recording, live streaming, a little bit of both?
1: Maybe both. You know, during the t- the pandemic times when we didn't have a show, we did do online videos called Cake Pops, where we would do interviews, you know, audio or video interviews and, and little little workshop things, which are up on the Cake YouTube channel. Um, So we, we think it'd be nice to live stream, of course. Um, But it might be more feasible to think about putting it up after the fact, just because one of the hardest things with show is finding a venue and ha- having a venue that you can pay for and fit everybody and have the amenities that you need and you're always going to sacrifice one or two of those things and so i don't know that the place we had this last year would sustain a live stream but maybe next year you know we're very open to to, to doing something like that um because that's the kind of stuff that that that's great right now is you can you know you could never come to cake but still see some of the great things we're doing i mean everyone should try to come but not everybody can come you know i get it
0: how much do, how much of your time does this planning the show or your involvement with the show take up in a given year uh
1: <laughs> a lot <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it's it's a lot and it's it, it sort of the way it goes is that it sort of feels manageable and then about six and, and this is my first time doing it. So a lot of it's probably a learning curve for me. But then that four to six months before the, the actual show kind of feels like insanity. And then that last month was really, really tough. And um, you know, I I at the time I agreed to do it, I I, I hadn't had my daughter yet. I have a three-year-old daughter now, and um that's changed my life quite a bit in, in in so many amazing ways, but it has cut back on my time. And then now I'm drawing a a monthly book that that also requires a lot of energy and so um so it's a lot of work and that's not to discourage anybody we're actually you know looking bringing on some new people right now that i was talking to just earlier this week um to the the organizer team and uh i try to be honest with them i'm like if you're going to organize a show it is the most rewarding thing you can possibly do it's amazing and you will you will feel like you just saved comics but you're gonna really have a hard time keeping it all on track you know and it feels like you're just Uh, One of the other organizers who had been doing it a while longer told me, he said, it always feels like this is never going to work until like the day before the show. And then you're like, oh, it worked. (laughs) It's sort of a a trick that happens in your head. We're like, there's no way we're going to pull this off. And then somehow we all come together and it it worked out fine.
2: As someone who works in live theater, that is a common experience (laughs) with anything that is put up in front of people.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know if I if I if that's in my DNA. I can I can hang when I have to. Um, I don't get the thrill as much, I think, as some people do. I get the fear. So um, (laughs) but uh, but it was sure, like I said, once once that weekend was ending and people were packing out and telling us how much they loved the show, it was great. I mean, nothing
2: felt better. So, uh, you know, you're in Chicago which has a plethora of comic shops. Do you yeah. have a particular shop that is your shop or do you play the field?
1: Um, I like to try to go to as many shops as I can. The shop where I have my pull list at is Challengers Comics and Conversation. Mm-hmm. And I've known Patrick since I was 18. Um, he, The first time I ever put together my own comic at the Xerox store and stapled it myself and tried to sell in a store, was Patrick at Graham Crawford Comics. And ever since then, he has been uh, a resource and a champion and a friend. And uh, I think they run probably one of the best mainstream serving shops in the whole country, not just in Chicago. So I go there for my poll, and that's where I'm going to be having the signing for the schlub on the 23rd of August. Um, but I I love uh, Chicago Comics is a great shop and Quimby's I really love because Quimby's is our sort of indie zines and self-published shop and again it's a place you go into you're going to be your mind is going to be blown you're going to see comics you never thought could have been created and then I live kind of on the northwest side now and there's a new shop up here called Howling Pages and uh, Elaine there is doing a great job of curating a shop full of you know, trade trades and graphic novels and art books. And it's not a, a monthly comics type shop, but he really curates a great collection of of, of more high end stuff. And he imports a lot of self-published stuff from other countries. And uh, it's a really, really great shop. Um, and I used to work downtown for about 13, 12, 13 years. And um, so I would go to the Graham Cracker down there and was friendly with most of the management there, you know, I mean, they've had a lot of changes over the years, you know, Patrick was there and, you know, of course I, I, I know Earl and, and Matt and uh, you know, back when Allie was there, I'm not sure who's there anymore. Cause I haven't been down there in a while. And once you move, once you don't work downtown, you don't really go downtown as much anymore. So,
2: but yeah, those are all, they're all great shops. If you've ever been to Chicago, you guys you check them out. Graham Cracker was the, I, every time I travel for, work i try to hit a comic book shop and graham it was a conference downtown and graham cracker was the shop i was able to check off for chicago but now it's like i want to go back because there's so many other things i wanted to see because i couldn't get away and it's like okay now add these comic shops to the list of things to see
1: it's an embarrassment of riches really and and the, the, the thing i still do go to graham crackers for is they have great like dollar bins and quarter bins that are just packed full of stuff so um so yeah are you guys where are you guys at New Jersey, yeah. Oh, okay, you got some I, shops out there. Oh yeah, I okay. live right
2: across the bridge from Philly, so. Oh, okay. right. sure so it, it, it's not like we're living in you know a comic desert. Is that well the that I mean, equivalent it, of a food desert? Right. <laughs> I
1: asked because I, I grew up. My my formative years were spent in Colorado, and I lived an hour and a half from the closest comic book shop. So my comic collecting took a huge hit when I moved there. It would be like. It was like buying drugs. I had to like, Oh, are you going to Pueblo here? Let me give you five bucks. You can pick up Wildcats number six for me. You know, and someone would grab it and bring it back and like, Oh, you got the wrong one. You know, Oh, I got to go back. You know, it was, it was hard until I had a license to, and even then it's like, I had it was three hours to go get comics.
0: So it was, uh, you know, I, I,
1: I can't complain now.
0: <laughs> but, but one day when your daughter's old enough, and and maybe you're getting her into the hobby, if if she so chooses. You know, you get to tell the story. Well, in my day, I had to drive an hour and a half to get my comics both right. ways. Right, right. In
1: the heat, no air conditioning. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it, it, it you know, my dad is the one who turned me on the comics when I was a kid and took me to my first comic book store. And uh, I've been addicted ever since. And I have not pushed him on her at all but she sure loves Spider-Man right now. I mean, she sure loves uh, PJ Masks and she's kind of into the superheroes right now. We'll see if it lasts, but I had nothing to do with it. I promise.
0: <laughs> so uh, your your portfolio includes a graphic novel about the Green River Killer called Gary. Uh, so I know, I know you've been doing a lot of comics, podcasts and interviews to promote this love, but was there a period where you were getting invited on true crime podcasts to uh, talk about Gary?
1: You know, I'm glad you brought up Gary. I don't, I probably don't talk about it enough, probably because I don't really have I've only got digital versions of it right now. Um, so, yeah, I did this book called Gary and it's about Gary Ridgeway, the, the Green River Killer. And part of the reason I probably wasn't on podcast is that there wasn't very many podcasts when I started doing it. Um, I actually had a couple issues out and I was tabling at Stumptown a long time ago in Portland. And I a guy walks by my table and he's like, oh is this about the green river killer? And I was like, yeah, he was like, Oh, okay. I was like, what? And he's like, well, I work at dark horse. Uh, we're doing one by the green river killer. <laughs> and uh, Jonathan case was, was drawn that one. It was called, I think the green river killer. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> um, So at that time, there seemed to be such an interest in that stuff, but I had grown up with an interest in the macabre and, and horror and, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff and serial killers. And so when I was thinking about a comic to do, I really wanted to do a book that was about a serial killer, but wasn't about the cops catching him. It wasn't about, um, redeeming him in any way. I just wanted to show the light, like the memories of this person and the dichotomies of their life in, 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 in a way that was sort of uh, non-objective in some ways. Um, And so I did that. It's like three different uh, it started out as three separate issues that I did over time. And they're each like 40 something pages. And then I collected it all together. Um, But I never got on a true crime podcast about it. So I would be glad to go on one because I listened to some podcasts and watched some Netflix shows about the Green River Killer. And I never I don't like to brag, but uh, they get so much of it wrong. I did crazy research for that book. Like I had I had spreadsheets. I had I read Every book about the Green River Killer, I read the ones by his lawyers. I read the book his ex-wife wrote. I downloaded the whole court documents with all the testimonies and read all that. I had all the dates laid out. It was like an, I was a crazy person. You I know, mean, I was like totally crazy about it. And so when I sometimes I hear things and in, in, uh, podcasts and stuff talk about it, I'm like, ah, they didn't get that right. But
2: hmm. I've moved on. So. <laughs> Why did you pick the Green River Killer? I mean, there's. Plenty of serial killers that, you know, you're Gacy, Dahmer, Jack the Ripper that are higher profile. What was it about Green River that spoke to you?
1: Well, he's one of the most prolific, but also probably one of the least sexy, you know, there's this sexiness, especially with the craze of serial killers right now, where we try to make them cool and interesting and, you know, like, like, uh, what was that show called, uh. Where the hot guy is a serial killer, but he's like a good guy serial Dexter. killer. Oh, Dexter. Oh, Dexter. Right, right. And I'm not saying Dexter's bad or anything, but I'm just saying that felt like a, a trope. Like Hannibal is kind of the good guy in the Silence of the Lambs movies, you know. You, you, and I, I was like, well, these aren't good people, right? Or or they're not. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to redeem this guy. It's not my job, right? But I I I was when I first read about him, I was shocked about the number of of, of victims he had, but also how how long he did it. And how much he just had a regular life outside of that, you know, kid, ex-wife, new wife, dogs, camping trips, you know, worked at a factory for years and years and years. Um, and he didn't have a lot of these um, uh, serial killer origin story moments that you get from the lives of people like Gacy and Jeffrey Dahmer. And um, I'm not saying that those things don't didn't happen to, to those people. They, they did. It's just like Gary was like unremarkable in every way, except in murdering people, and so that to me just gave me a, a good uh, kind of spot to start with, and then the fact that pretty much all of his victims were were prostitutes, which might have contributed to, to how long it took to, to catch him is is the, the little amount of care that is put into, you know, going after the, the murders of, of of people that are in sex work, and so those were a lot of the elements that attracted me to it, and I, and I thought, okay, here's a guy who if you met him, you wouldn't think twice about him being anything. He's just, he, he's a, he's a non entity. Right. And, uh, but at the same time, if you think about all the things going on in his head and the things he's seen and the things he's done, you know, he'll be out in a truck with his son. And the next minute he's, he's murdering somebody literally next to the, tr- you know, out in the woods, next to the truck and then going back in the truck with his son. And, and he just drives away and, and they live their lives. And that was like so much more chilling to me than, I'm getting revenge on people or, or this thing that I think the story we all want to read into serial killers where we want it to be this big, scary, mythical thing. And like he's scary in a way because there's nothing mythic or scary or evil genius about him. He's just the regular guy, not very smart, actually, that got away with murdering women for 20 plus years. Um, So those were that's sort of where the genesis was and and exploring just his memories. You know, the book bounces around a lot between um, kind of memory triggers is what I call them. So, you know, he'll see something when he's maybe hanging out with his girlfriend or wife, and that will remind him of something that happened when he was in the process of murdering somebody or vice versa. And that that that's something I think a lot of other people can relate to is these memory triggers we all have. You're hanging out with friends. You smell a cinnamon roll and then you think, oh, my mom's cinnamon rolls or whatever it is, you know. And and maybe, you know, some of those memories are horrible and some are good and they're all kind of mixed up in there together. So there was there's that that idea of turmoil, even though you never see it with him in any of his interviews as much or anything. But now I'm rambling. So.
0: <laughs> now, when you uh when you were at Cake this year, uh and and Durf was there, you know, did you get to go up and be like him and be like, you wrote a graphic novel about a serial killer, or I made a graphic novel about a serial killer and like have that like high five moment. <laughs> I tried, I tried not to do that with Durf. I, I, you know, I'm Gary's
1: a work I'm really proud of, but since I don't have it in print, I, I haven't, you know, I, I try not to, to encroach on it on other people as much, but uh his book is very different. It's really great. My friend Dom is amazing. And I the thing I like about that book is that it is, it, 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 it doesn't like redeem him, but it humanizes him in a way that it makes him what he was, which is the kind of person we might've all been in school with. Somebody in our school was maybe a little bit off like that. And we know what, we know what that feels like to be around that kind of person. And Durf really sort of brings that home. Um, Durf's also just, you know, he's great. And he was uh, awesome to have at the show. He he's kind of a big deal, I guess, and I I was sort of like I don't want to. He's not chatty though. (laughs) He's not chatty. He's very nice, but I didn't want to go and try to talk shop with him about serial killers. (laughs) I was also way too busy to do that at the show, just running around and you know all that kind of stuff. But he did a great talk actually on his Kent State book at the convention, which was I. That's an example of something I wish we could have recorded. But um, brilliant guy, fantastic work. Uh, So glad we had him
0: at the show this year. Uh, what, what more deep cut from your past I wanted to ask about, you know, in, in doing research, I was looking at like the Kickstarter pages for the two uh, beef bros campaigns uh, and, and that stuff just looked fun as hell. Is that, is that a world that, you know, you and Aubrey are talking about revisiting anytime soon? Um, I think we both had a, an absolute blast,
1: you know, jamming together creatively. Um, he's a, Aubrey's a very high energy Um, amped up guy who loves comics and out of all the people I've worked with, he's the one that's the most exciting to send pages to, you know, every time I send him anything, he's just, Oh my gosh, this is great. And he'll just dive into everything he loves about it and shoot more ideas at me. And, man oh man he's got energy and and i think what we accomplished with those those first two beef bros was really special and different and there's not anything else like it and and if if i want anything to be consistent about my work it's just that i want it all to feel like something you haven't really seen before or at least Mm -hmm. not exactly the way we've done it and i think beef bros is very unique i don't i don't think there's really anything i can think of that's much like it and um we both probably would love to to do something like that again, or or more Beef Bros. People seem to really respond to it, so that door is always open. It's just a matter of uh, schedules and and stuff like that. And right now, I'm sort of all in on the schlub, and he's got some awesome projects he's working on that I've seen that are obviously things I can't talk about. But man, oh man, they're they're really neat. I think people are gonna really like his
0: next thing. The uh, the videos that he cut for those two kickstarters <laughs> are. Probably some of my favorite things I've ever seen in a crowdfunding yeah.
1: campaign. <laughs> yeah, those were great. We we had uh, Kyle from The Sword do the music. And, uh, you know, Aubrey is so opposite from me. We wanted to play that up in the videos. So he's, you know, and then I show up and I'm just like, I'm drawing this comic. Um, he he got a
0: second, you got a headband in the second one.
1: Right. I put my headband on, you know. But yeah, he, he, uh, he was very smart to do those videos. And as someone who's run multiple Kickstarters um, and done trailers for other Kickstarters I've done, I'll tell you right now, most people start the trailer up or, you know, the video up for maybe 45 seconds to a minute. They want to see that you're a real person and see what you're all about. And then they they stop playing it because you can see how long they play it. Almost every play of our video on Beef Bros was all the way to the end. You know, it it was like I'd never seen anything like it. Like people didn't just I think the trailer had more views than the Kickstarter did, you know, on the YouTube page. You know, it was it was a phenomenon in, in, in in and of
0: itself. (laughs) did you get to keep a fanny pack from the campaign from from the uh, yeah i have
1: one i've got one right over here actually it's now become my my convention table bag so um i always was like where do i put like my snacks and everything and so now i've got my my beef bros uh uh fanny pack and actually i just got in the mail i think i got four more so i'll probably put those up on my website sometime soon because they're there's those are the last ones in existence
0: so I, I I love my Beef Bros fanny pack. <laughs> so you mentioned the uh, the signing uh, the day when the Schlub comes out. Do you have any other or you know signings or convention appearances coming down the pike?
1: Yeah, well, um, I don't know if I'm gonna have any more conventions this year, but because um, I didn't end up getting in at New York, but if I if I do another show, I'm hoping to do a lot more shows next year. So hopefully next year I'll be at, at some more. I, I just did Heroes not too long ago um but yeah i'm doing a signing at uh challengers comics on the 23rd in the daytime and then on the 26th or 27th the saturday of the release date i did a um retailer exclusive cover for a shop in iowa called in this issue comics and my friend uh longtime friend justin is the shop owner there and i'm going to do a signing there on that saturday as well and uh we have a new uh, retailer exclusive cover there which hasn't we haven't showed it yet we'll probably actually show it off tomorrow um and it's a it's a reference to the movie Twins. So um, I think I think people will like it. I, I I love it. I It's one of my favorite covers for the series. So um, I will be at those two places um, on those two dates. And I'm very excited to 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 be both places. I've, I've never done a signing in Iowa yet. And um, Challengers is always great, always great. It's my hometown. And so I'm hoping a lot of, a lot of people come out and say
2: hi. And ultimate question. What are you reading right now? Uh, I, well, I,
1: I, I, I was, I've said this a few times in my last couple of talks of with people, but I'm, I'm bad about reading stuff now that I'm drawing comics. I don't know what happens, but it's like the more you draw them, the less you read them. So I was reading, uh, trad's fall sunrise, the Dr. Strange thing. And that's mm-hmm. obviously over now, but, uh, he's a huge influence as well. And so I, I love that. Um, but I was, I mentioned earlier, I just finished, I actually just finished reading all of uh, Gowroden, the, um, you know, it's a, the artist of Baki and a different writer. And it's an adaptation of a of a novel. And it's a, it's your basic fight, fight manga, you know, characters, superpower guys, you know, fighting each other, but I can't get enough of it. So I, I just finished that. And now I started reading Baki, uh, the, what is it, the second or third series of Baki. Um, so I'm reading that right now. And then, uh, let's see. Other than that, most, most of what I'm doing is I'm I'm looking at comics all the time, but I'm not necessarily reading them. So I pull out things from my collection or artist editions, and I'm like studying is what I call it. I try to study comics as much as I can. So I'm always studying, um, you know, panel layouts and those kind of things. Oh, that's the other thing I just read. My uh, one of my former collaborators, Seth Jacob, his new issue of Holy West just arrived. It was a Kickstarter book that he did with Daniel Irizarry. And man, oh, man, it is fantastic. I It must be in the other room, but it is fantastic. It's a Western about uh, the Holy Grail, and it is so cool. Uh, Daniel Irizarry colored me on astrobiology, a book, a book I did with Seth. And Seth has lots of great ideas and, and big kind of, I mean, uh, sci-fi ideas, but this is a Western. And um, the progression of Daniel's art from, from what he was doing coloring me to Holy West 1 to Holy West 2 is just like, he's just, you know, on some new shit man he's drawn amazing stuff now i was really impressed with the book and the story is great too so if you haven't checked out holy west yet um hit up seth jacob for a copy it's very good
2: what are you guys reading oh that it's funny or Guess, maybe top three
1: things you're reading i bet you guys read well, a lot
2: of books i can there's tell. there's that but guests always you know say that sometimes it feels like a gotcha question he's like oh, oh. <laughs> and I'm like oh you've turned
0: the tables on me <laughs> oh. His shoes on the other foot oh what well, well, Matt, thinks, Uh I'm reading a lot of the X books now. Uh, let's see what else. I'm reading uh, Peacemaker Tries Hard by uh, Kyle Starks and Steve Pugh over at DC. Uh, trying to think what else. Am I still reading Second Coming? <laughs> I think I am. Might be behind on that. And then a lot of my reading is whatever I'm, I'm reading for the podcast in a given week. So you're reading the schlum, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably top three right
2: now. Uh, Rom V's run on detective comics, this yeah. creepy, supernatural, m- mythic take on the history of Gotham City with demons and monsters and but horror and Batman work really well together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it will remain in the top three. I'm about a week behind on my books, but uh, Chip Zdarsky and Jacob Phillips Newburn just came back with a its new arc, and I'm super excited for that. let well,
1: Stegman's arch nemesis, I think, right? Ah. So let's just to have some sort of thing going on, <laughs> and.
2: It's hard to pick which of James Tynion IV's horror comics is the one that I'm the most into at any particular moment. Whether it's something Who's killing the children, or his uh, Sandman universe book he's doing for DC, but horror and crime tend to be my my bag, which explains a lot of me being a Batman fan right there. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm digging all that. Cool. Do you read the Casey Phillips stuff? The the that,
1: yeah. Oh yeah, oh no, yeah, they're real good. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, I'm. We, we're. It's I. I mean, I've uh, night night fever. I read, and I'm I. The, I don't. Is the next one? I don't think the next one's solicited yet, but it's due out at the end of the year. Right. So excited for that. All right. Yes. And and oh, you know, talking about artist's editions and things, and just that came to my mind. I'm getting ready to when I have the. When I, after I've worked up the physical strength to lift it and read it again, the uh, <laughs> second Parker Martini edition, Darwin nice. Cook. Nice. Uh, yeah. Which has a short by Brie Baker and Phillips uh, in there as well. And I'm super excited to finally sit down with that.
1: Man, I love looking through artist editions and stuff, but it is sort of, you have to be like, okay, I'm doing this now. You know, you don't just casually look at it while you're in front of the TV. Like anytime I pull out my my Jim Lee artist editions or my, I got a, that Frazetta book back there. I have the Mike the Michael Golden one, the Marvel stories one is coming out, I think in a couple of weeks. I'm so ready for that. I'm very excited.
2: Many years ago now, my wife bought me this lap desk that has a, a shelf you can lift up and prop a, a book that opens wide on it. Wow. And it's, that is is what I set up on the bed with that and just put it, and let it, you know, may you open your hymnal to the page.
0: It's like going to church. Yes. You need that special lectern and like the little the little ribbon to, to hold your place. Absolutely. Uh, well, Tyrell, this has been a fantastic time. Final question as we release you back into the world. How can people follow you online and keep up with the schlub and everything else that you got going on? Well, I am, I am
1: at uh, a bunch of different places. The easiest way to kind of get all, all you need to know about Tyrell is to go to tyrellcannon.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter, which is the first place people learn about art drops, new products, commission lists. Um, those kind of things tend to fill up pretty fast. So I tell people sign up for the newsletter so you can, you can check those out. I'll be announcing the schlub art drops uh, there first. And then from there, you can also find me on social media. I am at Comics on any social media I'm on, which at the moment is uh, Instagram, Twitter, or X, or whatever the fuck they're calling it. And uh, Blue Sky, I think I'm on there now too. Um, and then I also have a channel on YouTube, and these are all linked on my website, but I have a YouTube channel, and I've been trying to get um, more consistent with some streaming. Um, I generally do Tuesday nights, Tuesdays with Tyrell, and uh, usually just do some sketching or work on commissions, hang out, answer questions, try to talk about how I make my work. And, and that's been really fun as well. And then I also have a Patreon if, if people want to get on that, where you get to see, um, you get access to my whole back catalog via via that. You get discounts on commissions. And uh, uh, when I'm working on my sci-fi book, Eris, which is on a pause right now, but when I'm working on that, it comes out regularly via my Patreon as well.
0: So that's where they can find me. All right, Terrell, thank you so much for coming
1: on the show. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a real pleasure talking to you.
0: That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of ComicsXF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast, Battle of the Atom, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support wmq a at patreon.com slash comicsxf, where a dollar donation gets you a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $2 donation gets you early access to WMQ&A and a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $3 donation gets you a sticker, early access, and a shout-out. A $5 donation gets you access to our monthly bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the comic appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, a $25 donation lets you request a primer, one of our custom reading guides for a series, character, or creator, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Will Redmond, Tobias Carroll, Natalie Jordan, Mike Sagawa, Will Nevin, Liz Large, Asimov Fangirl, Carla Pacheco, and Robert Secundus. You're all special, and we love you. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013 and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. You can also follow ComicsXF on Facebook and Blue Sky. And until next week, remember, in the 1970s, Stan Lee reportedly used to maintain a collection of toupees that made it appear as if he was growing his hair out. Excelsior! W-N-Q-A